Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. What's just pretty good about it? Um, the fact that it's so unremarkable. Okay, well, that's good. (laughs) Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. And this episode, we're looking into a movie that is heavily referenced, but rarely watched. Yeah, and... I don't know that excited is the right word that I have for this, to get into this. I'm hungry about it. (laughs) It's making me a little hungry. Soylent Green, available on your local Amazon, same day shipping, get it wherever. It's got a interesting taste, to say the least. Uh, I can't say what it is. It's a wonderful flavor. Okay. (laughs) And uh, I'm Jason, and... And I'm Blake. I feel like one of these days we have to introduce the other person. Like, he's Jason and he's Blake. (laughs) (laughs) That guy over there, that's Blake. All right. Anyway, Happy New Year, buddy. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. Great year. Yeah. Great year to get started with a dark dystopian film. (laughs) And Yeah. And this film is actually set in 2022. So let's get into it. I'm really excited about this one, where we watch Soylent Green, a film from 1973, which takes place in 2022. So right now, to go along with our New Year's theme a little bit, and yeah. man, does this not paint a great picture on what the world's supposed to look like today, yeah, 50 years ago. It's not <laughs> far off. It it's... really, it's not, and it is, and we'll get into that, because there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about there. Yeah, and of course, you've all heard the references. We're going to, if you haven't heard the references, you'll understand at the end in the spoiler section. So I'll leave that. I'm going to try so hard not to bring up <laughs> the reference that everybody knows. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see if, how great a job we do at that. But anyway, show notes from last time. I don't have a whole lot. I don't know if you have a whole lot. I think we've hammered the Matrix to a wall to death. Yeah, I don't know if I have anything left to talk about it, other than the fact that, holy crap, what a divisive movie yeah, that I was not yeah. expecting to be that divisive. Yeah, and I think, like, our last episode, we came right out of the theater, and we had been going through all the Matrix stuff for, like, in a short amount of time. Yeah. So it kind of might have blended together into our love for the Matrix, so I don't know if we were a little blinded. I'm biased. I'm excited to rewatch it again, and I think I probably, well, we'll see what COVID has in store for us over this next month, but I'd like to get to the theater one more time to check it out. We talked about our opinions on it. I was actually listening to another podcast reviewing it mm. uh, earlier this week, and they one of the viewers actually said that he enjoyed it more on the second view than he did on the first because he started to catch some of how the film was structured and how intentional some of the design was to mess with you basically and mess with what your idea of what a sequel or what a movie in the 2020s should be it's kind of interesting but anyway let's not talk about that anymore oh actually before i say that I, I will say, though, that I'm glad that The Matrix Resurrections has shined a light on the Animatrix, because that deserves a little bit of love now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot more people will be aware of it. 
yeah. now that this new one has come out. It was good. I can't believe I haven't watched it in the 20 years that it's been out at this point. But I still have to. <laughs> you still have to. I know. We've got so many movies to watch, though. Yeah. But anyway, let's get into the actual part of the podcast here. Soylent Green, 1973. You want to start with plot? Yep, let's go. It's 2022, New York City. The population is 40 million. Overpopulation has drastically changed society, and a stubborn detective happens upon a very obviously staged murder in the penthouses of the city's most elite. Yeah, and what's really interesting about this opening, too, is he's clearly extremely wealthy in this society, and it's explained him and his murderer, kind of, or his assassin, as you would, kind of have this back and forth before he's killed, and he's murdered to be kept quiet because basically he's developed a conscience and that's yeah. what he's he acknowledges that and he kind of accepts his fate accepts yeah. that the reason why he gets murdered and he just kind of takes it like there's not really a fight he just kind of accepts you know what this is the way things are i know that i pushed my limit and yeah. you do what you got to do. The society that he kind of had a hand in or was at least he's an elite guy in a horrible society. It just ground him down and he accepted his grisly murder. And that's something as well that the film kind of opens you up with is this opening sequence that's a montage of the grimy future of industrialism and capitalism really run off the rails and maybe not necessarily one or both of those but it definitely paints a portrait of an unchecked society where population growth or corruption climate change all of these this perfect stew of human tragedy kind of all mixed in together and trying to paint that picture in 1973 for what the next 50 years are going to look like basically yeah and that so the intro of the movie that you were just speaking about was this montage of just photos and i i want to say that all of those photos had to have been already happening in the world so it was a it was just a or a montage of photos taken around the world that showed where we were going if we continued on this path and then the movie dives into that and it's it's really cool especially watching it today in 2022 Mm -hmm. while COVID's happening because there's photos of people wearing masks in this montage and I'm like like did they just make this (laughs) well yeah and that's Something that we're going to have to compare and contrast later is what they got right back in 1973 and what they got wrong. And it's kind of a mixed bag, to be honest, a little bit there. The masks, I will say, are related to the rampant pollution within the cities. And this movie obviously is based in New York City, so it's within the U.S. And sure, we don't see that as much necessarily in North America, But China, absolutely people are wearing masks on a regular Mm. basis to cover their oxygen with with all of the crazy pollution that they have in there. Like, the smog here is nothing like it is over there. And even probably in some other third world countries as well, right? Yeah, and uh, what I I kind of got into um, looking at some of the photos just from 
the 70s and 80s in North America, mm-hmm. like, we knew that that was happening. Like, everything was dirty. You hear, um, like, older people talking about how dirty everything was. Yeah, and, like, there's photos of, like, New York in the 80s, and that's where it almost looks similar to this movie. And then, I guess, over time, our own society transferred all of that over to third world countries. Yeah. And, yeah, anyways... The population in the movie is 40 million in New York. Yep. In 1973, the population was 7.6 million. So that's drastically larger. And in 2021, New York City's population is still 8.82 million. So that's yeah. that's like really how far they uh, they imagine things to go. And you see the main character as he's coming out of his house in the beginning, his apartment he can't walk down the steps properly because there's people just lined up trying to sleep on every step available inside. Yeah, for sure. And I actually looked into that a little bit too. And the state of New York is, has a population of around 19 million people. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if they were also thinking a little bit about the growth and annexation of, other cities around new york and neighborhoods a little bit so but obviously like you bring up a good point too is that they constantly show just how crammed in it is everywhere and that's something that the film also addresses as well and this is maybe a focal point too is how do you feed that many people in this society of unchecked corruption and pollution and overpopulation. And so the film presents uh, the answer in Soylent Green. And blue and yellow. And blue and yellow. There might be a red one in there too. I think there is, yeah. Yeah, but Soylent Green is kind of the new big thing that people are eating it's high in energy plankton from the ocean and we're kind of led to believe that this is one of the last most efficient food sources left probably on earth and this is something we'll get into a little bit later too but there's a lot of throwaway lines in this that paint just little images in your mind of what these people are dealing with in 2022 at one point one of the characters mentions that Soylent, the company that produces a lot of this food, is producing food for over half the population at this point. So there's definitely a monopoly on feeding people. And honestly, if if you really go down the rabbit hole, that's not horribly far off in 2022 world with a company like Monsanto, for example. So... There is some interesting parallels to the 2022 of today, but let's let's dive into that a little bit later. Let's get into who this movie is for. Before we talk about that a little bit, I think we do have to paint the picture a little bit more that Soylent Green is tagged as an ecological dystopian thriller, but... I would say that it also leans very heavy into crime and mystery elements as well. Yeah, I would say those fit into dystopian generally as well. So, yeah, like that, those are subplots, sub elements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, like you could draw the comparison to like a Blade Runner kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe it's just a good way to present something where you have somebody constantly investigating and moving through different areas of the world. Yeah, Yeah. scenes, scenery, that kind of thing. So so that's kind of what you're going to be looking at getting into this a little bit. Who's this movie for? Obviously, if you're a fan of dystopian themes, especially with relation to climate change and overpopulation, this might be worth checking out. Yeah, and this this isn't for the average movie no, watcher. Not at all. This isn't uh there's no real good comparison either. I well, I guess Children of Men is like the yes. closest thing to I, this, and yes, it, I agree. So, if you're not a huge fan of movies and you don't want to deep dive into why you keep hearing references to these old movies, I'd say go watch it, uh, Children of Men instead of Soylent Green. And Children of Men is objectively a much better film, oh, in my yeah. opinion. It's fantastic, it's yeah. probably one of the best films of the last 20 years. Yeah absolute recommendation stamp of approval that's that's the exact same vibe that i got is the children of men kind of vibe so Mm. if you watch children of men and you're like i need more of this yeah this is probably serviceable it's a really slow burn though there's there's not a ton of crazy high points Mm. to soiling green i would say this is where we are stepping out of our normal two decades of the 80s and 90s and this is where you see that the most is that this is a 70s movie this is before the 80s and 90s where they started to really do what we love movies doing yeah if that makes sense how i worded that but yeah i've heard that the original godfather movies are kind of the point where movies pivoted into the modern cinema of today and that was 1972 this came out in 1973 obviously so Mm. so we're kind of maybe in the middle of that yeah like not everyone caught on to how to run a movie the way uh they did for godfather but yeah yeah this this movie definitely feels like a film rooted in 1973 it's not it's not timeless this is not for the average moviegoer if old movies aren't necessarily something that you love i wouldn't suggest you start with this to get into old movies this is this is way down down the list for me the other thing i'll say as well is that this movie kind of does for me fit somewhere between a detective film and a dystopian look into the future and since soylent green has come out these kind of themes have been done numerous times and i think they've been elements of this have been done better so many Mm -hmm. times at this point that it's kind of lost some of its magic touch in 1973 this would have been mind-blowing i think I think there are definitely some shock and awe yeah, moments like to this. Yeah, the visuals to it and the concepts were something that wasn't thought about on a day-to-day basis yeah. for the average population where it is now. Yeah. So this was like brand new, I think. I can't say that for sure. We watched this because of the 2022 uh, setting and because of the references. And so this kind of like set the... It might have set the ball rolling on this type of movie 
Mm-hmm. Well, just looking into this, actually, because overpopulation is such a big theme in this, I, I wanted to look when the one-child policy was initiated in China, and it was 1980, so a little bit ahead of its time mm-hmm. in terms of concerns maybe about about overpopulation. I will say, in defense of this movie, or maybe who this is for, is it is kind of an interesting look at what people of the early 70s thought were our most pressing issues. And it's interesting, it's an interesting thought piece on what they got right in the 70s and what they got wrong about 2022. Like I said, any throwaway sentence adds a new idea or concept that's kind of explaining where we went wrong Mm -hmm. as as a society basically and so there's kind of some interesting ideas in here and if that kind of piques your interest a little bit like go go check this out for sure yeah yeah it's kind of like a a film to study not one to enjoy yeah i think that in the right frame of mind you would get some enjoyment out out of it but i don't know that i was in the right frame of mind going into this one yeah like i had I didn't not enjoy myself, but I didn't thoroughly enjoy myself either. Yeah. Out of all of the films that we've watched so far on the podcast, this one's probably going to be ranking much lower on, on my list yeah. at this point in time. But And we had to go into... We went into this not knowing exactly what we were like going to be watching. We knew it was culturally significant in its references and um, in what they were saying at that time. And I'm a big fan of Charlton Heston too. So I was kind of looking forward to this one a bit. Yeah, I have, I've seen him in a lot of things without knowing exactly who he was. Mm. I also like, I knew that he was significant. As soon as I started watching Soil and Green, I saw like, I was like, I know that guy. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) and, Another thing that this this shows is what what used to be attractive for people in oh, buddy. the, the I'm male form. To talk yeah, about yeah, that a little bit later. Yeah. So let's talk when to watch really quick. All right. So I I kind of struggled with this one a little bit on Soylent Green. For me, I think I have to be in the red the red headspace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah. Way later, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> but uh, I got to be in the right headspace for this one. And I think where I land on where I enjoy this is if I'm already in kind of maybe a brooding mood or a nihilistic mood about the world. Yeah, like if you got COVID and then you watched a not, uh, nature documentary... And you just want to fuck it all up? Watch yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a lay in bed all day movie marathon movie, and it's somewhere where you watch it in the middle, where maybe you're kind of like you're, you don't have to be fully yeah, in. Yeah, you're like zoning out a bit. Maybe you took too much cough syrup. Yeah, exactly. I I think that's you'll, where you'll, I land on. Yeah, this you'll one. catch enough. Like a lot of it is a little. Um, it beats you over the head with like mm. what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's fair to not pay too much attention. If you just want to like knock this off your list, kind of like we, I, that's how I felt. I was uh, going into this. I yeah. wanted to knock it off my list so that I knew everything that I was referencing and uh, other pop culture was referencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a pretty good summary of when I will, 
when I want to watch this. Yeah, yeah. Where to watch. Right now, we can only rent it on Apple TV or YouTube. So fairly restrictive, but I don't know. It's only like $4 or something like that. Yeah. As a side note, I, I kind of wanted to talk to you really quickly about this, that I've I've kind of gotten some enjoyment back in renting movies lately. Mm, yeah, yeah. Even just digitally. Online, yeah? Yeah, just digitally renting movies. There's something fun about having to pay for something, but also getting exactly what you want at the time that you want it. Because yeah, I'm yeah. I'm notorious for scrolling through Netflix for 20 minutes to land on whatever basically that i had seen 15 minutes ago but yeah. just couldn't decide on because for me a little bit i gotta be watching the best i'm i'm a little yeah. bit of a perfectionist and i have to i have to find something that i'm gonna a be in the exact right mood for and b that i know is gonna be probably decent or something i'm going to enjoy probably for example soylent green i probably won't watch ever again mm-hmm. i'm maybe i will when overpopulation starts to really take its toll. Yeah, like when you're scrolling through and you you see movies that you're like, I would watch that, but not right now. Yeah, that's where this would be a struggle is if it got uploaded to Netflix, I could very much see myself scrolling through past this one quite often. Looking for something more like Lawrence of Arabia or something. Yeah. If you're like feeling an old movie, you might be like, oh, maybe I'll watch. What did you just watch? Oh, uh, Spartacus. Spartacus, yeah. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that. For a movie like Spartacus that was made in 1960, I I personally, I found it, even though it had that old movie kind Mm -hmm. of touch to it, I found it really worked with the setting, and I was pretty invested in what was going on. Yeah, yeah, and that's basically the, the underlying thing that's super important is being invested in a movie. Yeah. I get invested really easily. Mm-hmm. I didn't and like my investment level of Soylent Green for example was like probably like a 4 or 5 mm-hmm. when most movies are 8 and t- eight, between 8 and 10. Yeah, it, and part of it is kind of what the film is trying to do a little bit too because you're not necessarily rooting for anyone question mark like maybe a little bit detective thorn i would Uh, say you're rooting for saul yeah (laughs) so uh so all right let's let's get get into characters characters and people you may know now we're already talking about it so let's do it we have to start with charlton heston here who's playing detective thorn the one who gets that first call to the crime scene of the rich elite and where he's been murdered in his apartment and charlton heston is a huge actor of the 60s and 70s if if you've watched any movies of those times you're probably thinking or or know you've seen him from planet of the apes or ben-hur a lot of these actors are unfortunately no longer with us because a lot of them were born 100 years ago (laughs) um but he kind of had a little bit of roles in the 90s, but he he actually unfortunately developed Alzheimer's disease, which mm-hmm. impacted his acting career at that point. But he did narrate Armageddon, interesting enough, Wow, which is not the perfect movie by any means, but eh, it's an all right action Yeah, it's movie. pretty fun. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. It's not going to be in any accolades or anything like that but it's fun yeah Um, so some of his 
earliest work was Julius Caesar. Yeah. And uh, The Greatest Show on Earth. Those are some that you might recognize from yeah, history. And, I, and like I said, Planet of the Apes is objectively yeah. one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time. I absolutely oh, love it. I love him. Yeah. Uh, Ben-Hur, I'm very interested to watch. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, I think. Awesome. Um, but the only other movie that I did want to bring up that he's also in is Tombstone, which we actually brought up on a previous podcast. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Because it stars Kurt Russell yeah. from The Thing. Yeah. So Throw that's a, a Western. Episode. Sorry. Throwback to the first episode. Throwback to the first episode, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of a, a Western with a very star-studded cast. So kind of neat, actually, that Charlton Heston was able to adapt to so many different roles and genres throughout his career. Oh, yeah. But kind of what you said earlier, Charlton Heston was the leading man of the 60s and 70s. And today it's kind of interesting because looking at him now from our perspective, he's not the big muscly dude or no. the necessarily always the charismatic charmer. And not in this film at all. He's kind of he's kind of the loose cop on the edge kind of thing yeah, yeah. with some grit to him. Yeah, and he... Today, you would expect a leading man to be super attractive. Yeah. Apparently, he was, though, back then. And when you're watching it now, you're like, uh, maybe. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Objectively looking at the the times that that was in. Because Mm -hmm. some of the women in this film that will get into their roles, it was a pretty interesting dynamic. Um, But they're quite attractive. And uh, Mm -hmm. we'll get into who that is next but anyways we'll go into thorn a bit more he um yeah i mean he's lived in this world for more or less his whole life if looking at his age and being in 2022 he was probably born around 1980 or so yeah and if we think that this being out in the 70s he's probably I don't know, 10, 15 years old by 95 when in this probably movie projection, things are starting to not look so great. So he spent his entire adult life digging through the trenches more or less in this gritty New York. It's kind of whittled away at his morals. As a police officer, he he does what he wants. He takes what he yeah. wants from the crime scenes and... It's not like they cover it up at all. No, the it's police very chief, blatant. Yeah, the police chief asks it, him what he took. He takes it in front of the people who he's investigating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he goes in to investigate this initial crime scene where it's a very wealthy man, mm-hmm. and um, he's asking everyone questions while Snoop, like, just, he's not snooping around their house. He's walking around this apartment just grabbing things he found a bottle of bourbon and he's like wow is this real and then uh he opens a fridge and there's um apples and onions and those Mm -hmm. are foods that he's never even he's heard of them but he hasn't ever tasted them yeah and he brings these home and like a bar of soap and he you see him turn on the tap for the water and it's just free flowing water that's completely free to the inhabitants of the apartment yeah it's completely foreign foreign to him yeah and uh so he just takes it all home to his buddy Saul who is 
someone who lived in the old world yeah pre-apocalypse i guess yeah and kind of fitting as well saul is played by edward g robinson who's a man from another time at this point like he was born in 1893 wow and this was unfortunately his his final film he actually passed away days after filming was wrapped i actually want to talk about that a little bit later because that actually is a a really interesting point that even has some interesting connections to where the movie heads but anyway he was actually a huge star in the 40s in movies like Double Indemnity, which is something that's on my list that I'd really like to watch at some point. He was also one of the main characters in Key Largo, playing opposite to Humphrey Bogart, somebody who I know you're very much a fan of. Oh, yeah. Kind of interesting. It Literally, this is a human being from another world, and mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see his his acting and the way he plays this i i kind of believe him more than i believe any other character yeah like he it's almost it's a version of his real lived experience going through all the time periods that he went through Mm -hmm. and he plays it very well yeah and kind of interesting about that as well he was actually deaf at this point in his life And so he had to take a lot of cues from the other actors to know when to speak and to know when he needed to say the lines that he needed to say. So whatever you want to say about this movie, Edward G. Robinson, pour one out for the man. This was a fantastic final piece to write off into the sunset. Oh, yeah. I've got two other people I want to talk about. First is Leigh Taylor Young, who plays Cheryl or Cheryl... She plays the furniture at the apartment, which is a very derogatory term, but I believe me, that's what they call them. It's essentially an escort service for wealthy people where your escorts just live in with you. Yeah, so basically if you buy a new apartment, if you're rich enough to own an apartment in... um, With running water and access to other amenities like air conditioning... and even electricity yep. that's net like that you don't have to do anything to keep on. Mm-hmm. Um, if you own an apartment, you included in the lease is a woman who is known as a piece of furniture, the furniture. Yeah. When um, Thorne goes back to the cop station, talk to his chief, he's like, how is the, the furniture man? Yeah. And he's like, uh, he goes into it, but um, it's ridiculous. But at the same time, I think it's kind of a progressive stance because of the the theme of the rest of the movie. Basically, they're saying that society is degraded to this point that once again women are considered objects. Where yeah. so that's a very interesting, and it's you could definitely be on the fence about exactly which way they're going with it. I don't think they're celebrating it. I don't think they're necessarily celebrating it. The women are definitely have a mixed life. It, they, they're they living in comforts they would never, ever be able to afford. But on the flip side, they do have to deal with some adversity 
of we see, we see Cheryl having bruises. We see her having a very dark conversation with her new master, essentially, mm-hmm. yeah. where he basically lays down the law there. But it's basically capitalism taken to its final point where even human beings are an object. Yeah, and what I was more trying to say is that the the time that this film came out, mm-hmm. I think that they were trying to like shove it in the people's faces to say, like, this is what could happen. Yeah. And that is kind of what you're saying, I see. But yeah, it's just it's an interesting dynamic mm-hmm. and it's a very well, I think, placed theme throughout the the movie. Yeah. And I also want to say here too that Leigh Taylor Young is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Oh my god. She is like Charlton Heston, mm. where he was the leading man and the guy that ladies of the 60s and 70s would have swooned over. But Leigh Taylor Young is Timeless. timelessly attractive. Absolutely. Yeah. So there you go. Either end of the spectrum, whether you're here into the ladies or the guys, there's something here to enjoy, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, our last character is the police chief, who's played by Brock Peters. I just want to bring up quickly, because he actually played Tom Robinson in To Kill a Mockingbird, which oh, is... Oh, no way. Yeah, very famous movie, very famous book. I remember both reading that and watching that in yeah. high school, so I wouldn't mind checking that out at some point again. He also voiced Dr. Jomo in The Wild Thornberries, so... Oh. Weird connection there. Yeah, I would... I barely remember... I remember The Wild Thornberries, but I don't remember the guy i guess that yeah he played that's honestly the closest connection to our time yeah. basically is the yeah. wild thornberries so there you go hmm. <laughs> all right let's get into themes a little bit i think we have to start with the theme of overpopulation it's hammered yeah. over the head so often in this and that's really where the inspiration for this movie came from and we'll talk about that a little bit later but that's that is the central theme and and that's where all of the other ideas are kind of built around and it's the cause for all the effects yeah yeah and that's really what you're looking for when you're getting into this is to see the fear of overpopulation and what that looked like in the early 70s. And it's it wasn't unfounded at that time necessarily either. Like I said, we're a few years out from China adopting the one-child policy and other concerns about food shortages around the world. Again, there's a little bit of theme there about the food resources being controlled by essentially a monopoly of one corporation and how everyone's very dependent dependent on that we see massive food lines for rations and we see how upset people get when they don't get their fair share of those rations you see everybody at their breaking point or just about there some are trying to survive we see thorn trying to survive because he's afforded with his title his job Mm -hmm. a little bit of comfort Yep. where he can game the system a little bit, take some um, of these 
eccentric items from the wealthy from time to time and he has a small apartment that him and Saul Saul share. Saul is his book. So I believe from my interpretation was that Saul is one of the only uh, last remaining readers of the time. Oh yeah, because books don't exist in this yeah, world. Yeah, no more books are being printed because paper doesn't exist. Yeah, because all the trees are gone as yeah, well, basically. Yeah, so the whole, the world is very desolate. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, we've got, and that kind of leads us into that that other theme of the unchecked climate change and the pollution. We've we've got comments about year round heat waves. The state of the oceans, just the lack of trees, every everything is kind of at its breaking point. And I, I think you brought that up really well, or you've said it really well, about humanity. We see time and time again throughout Soylent Green that people are at their breaking point, and it really doesn't take much to set people off and... And set people off in a massive way, which yeah. is really interesting because I don't I think that might contradict how the end plays out a little bit, which obviously mm. we'll talk about that in spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going into the, the riots, there's way too many people. They have to line up for rations of water and food and the food are like three different colors of strange meal replacements. Yeah. Soylent. Yeah, it's basically and, astronaut food. Yeah. And by the way, Soylent is a combination of soya beans and lentils. Mm-hmm. So that's where the term, the name comes from. Yeah. Funny from- enough, I believe in the last couple of years, there's a company that has started creating Soylent products. Yeah, yeah. That's actually about 10 years old, I would say now at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a drink and it's basically, they have different flavors, mm-hmm. but they went into the science of like exactly what each person would need or the general person would need. And then you can customize it a little bit. Interesting. And you drink three to five uh, of these shakes a day. Mm-hmm. And w- there is a guy who did it for like a year or two. I think he might've been the creator. Mm-hmm. And so they actually named the product Soylent, which was super cool. I looked into buying some at one point <laughs> just to try it. Nice. But that, and that was before I'd ever watched the movie. I had, again, the references, the pop culture references, that's whatever everyone knows Soylent in some variation. Yeah. Another theme is, The theme of wealth and how that plays on Mm. the morals. And we've kind of seen this a little bit. We can draw a little bit of comparison to Eyes Wide Shut here. And how the wealthy of this society basically chooses to ignore the issues as they find new ways to benefit off of human suffering, basically. And they choose to live these closeted lives in their towers with their furniture and their AC and their running water. And the food. Yeah. And we and see one piece of beef and the, the Saul cries because yeah. he's he's hasn't seen real meat in years. And that shakes him to his core and he's like, How far have we come? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's some interesting themes here. Like I said, there's yeah. just there's just so much that gets added to the lore of this world that it it is interesting to hear all the comments and the ideas that come out throughout Soylent Green. Yeah, like the 
the battle between the rich and the wealthy, you see, you see the difference, especially in the bodyguard of the original rich man who was murdered. Mm -hmm. He has his own apartment. And then, so there's three apartments that you see. You see the very rich. Yeah. You see the people who serve the rich Mm -hmm. in the bodyguard. Yep. And that's a way better level. That's like middle class. And then you see uh, Detective Thorne and Saul's place. Which which is is, just under the middle class, I would say. No, I would say that's like technically in their world. But like, it's like... Like, they can't walk down their stairs because at night there's a curfew in place throughout New York City. Yeah. And um, so everyone has to sleep inside, but there's nowhere for these people to sleep. So they're sleeping stacked on each, basically on each stair. Yeah. There's like two or th- like two people to, to a stair. So, yeah, the the difference between those classes and the lowest. Yeah. And that actually kind of lends itself to the final theme that I wanted to talk about and how everybody's in it for themselves at this point. There's there's no uh, camaraderie left in humanity. It's everyone trying to advance their own agendas without helping anyone in any other way, basically. And we see that throughout it, like with the cops abusing their powers, with... It's a list throughout this. I, I don't need to dive into that much further than that. I think you can get from that what I'm going to explain. Basically. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's paralleled to what we see today is like in some areas today in like certain in in film. We see it as well. Yeah. Let's move into effects and filming. For me, the effects are a little bit weak in this one. For example, this is and this is the lowest point for me is during one of the riots we see a woman get shot in the head and have yes. a blood curdling scream. Yes, that, that was hilarious me. to me. <laughs> like I was like, there's there were a few things that took me out like fully because I yeah. was I wasn't fully in. Yeah, there were certain points where I was fully in, invested. But um, that took me out completely. I was laughing. I paused it. I rewinded it to show Annabelle. And I was like, she got shot, like, in the brain. Like, point blank, yeah. side of the head. You see the bullet blow, like, yeah. her brains out, yeah. basically. And she's, like, the most scream. blood-curdling yeah. scream for seconds after. And I was almost surprised it wasn't, like, a Wilhelm scream, either. It was just, <laughs> like, it was, they actually filmed that yeah. on purpose, basically. Yeah. I don't, it was just crazy. Yeah, so the effects are a little bit weak for me on in that regard. The scoop scene with the scoops, basically they're just bulldozers uh, with like a front loader and but it's they, the cross between a bulldozer and a, a dump gar- truck. Yeah, and a dump truck like garbage collector yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So part of the riot control was that they would just literally come into the riot that was happening around the Soylent lines yeah. to the ration lines, and they would just scoop people up into with their the, the with their bucket part, into yeah. the back dump truck part of this truck yeah and they kept zooming in to the scoops banging back down on the ground yeah to grab only, people again yeah to grab people again and they hit the ground hard and then um that you see that like four times as they're scooping more people into the truck yeah and uh then you see eventually the guy who's trying to shoot thorn he gets squished by one yeah and you see it like lower down on the actual actor yeah and then you see us like a, 
it just like goes black for a second almost and then you see a squished body that's just like <laughs> like a like, like the a, blood kind of yeah you blue out like a splooge it was like a 10 year old made the dead body it was yeah it was a little ridiculous but again that's the 70s and it's not like a high-end movie i don't think no in its defense it also was kind of a neat idea again with the riot police and everything and, and how much equipment they have that honestly that kind of parallels our own world and how well equipped some yeah. police forces are today yeah you laugh and you think that you know these scoops are kind of ridiculous but the other alternatives out there are scarier yeah, potentially yeah, than sure. what they were thinking yeah, even yeah. in 1973 and honestly i think if you were let's say like 20 or 15 or whatever in 1973 mm-hmm. you probably hadn't seen anything like this and um just people getting scooped up and taken away yeah like that it was just too efficient or something like that yeah. so the idea if you put yourself in a 1973 person's mentality mm-hmm. that might have been just mind-blowing and scary yeah it was it was interesting yeah. i I, I kind of feel that you were completely off that train. I was I was more l- lukewarm to it. I, I kind of appreciated what they were doing with those. And maybe it didn't land perfectly, but I thought it was an interesting idea anyway. I liked the scoops. Okay. Okay. I like they weren't executed perfectly, but the idea yeah. and the concept and how they how they did their best with it, I liked it. Yeah, and for me, I think that's a good way to summarize Soiling Green is I I like the attempts that were made, but yeah. not everything was perfectly executed. Yeah. Could you imagine if like Christopher Nolan or like Stanley Kubrick did this in the 80s and it had never been done before? It would have been very interesting. That would have been so scary, I think. Yeah. It Yeah. Back to effects and filming here. We've got the yellow green fog all over New York, all over New York, <laughs> <laughs> all over New York, and I actually did kind of enjoy that look a little yeah. bit. I thought it that kind of made things put me more in in this world. On the flip side, they didn't attempt at all to really guess at what clothing or hairstyles might look like in the future. Yeah. It, a little bit to a detriment. And I understand that's not really what the theme of the movie was going for or anything like that. Yeah. But it makes the movie feel a lot more, a lot more rooted in the early 70s. Yeah, yeah. And that almost takes me away from the ideas. Of I definitely, the yeah, I see where you're saying there because this was basically made for people of the 70s and they they just didn't think ahead of like what those rich people might like what the culture might have changed to they basically just looked at the worst of what they imagined humanity to be without adding any like positives which would naturally occur not positives but like new changes I yeah guess. like com- compare and contrast this to blade runner which also is a film that came out in a very similar time. I think it's maybe five years later, but takes place in 2019, I believe. Mm. And and we, there's a very different aesthetic to oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But again, they're kind of going for different futures a bit there. But still, there's, there's a little bit more of an attempt to make you feel like you're 
in a world that has not yet taken place but could uh at the same time i would have to argue that this is a world that's frozen in time and just hanging on because okay. like the the police chief's watch mm-hmm. hasn't worked f- properly for a while it right. stopped working in in the film but Thorne had fixed it once or twice previously. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's like time stopped, let's say, in 1980 when something went wrong, and then they just continued on this path for, like, 40 years and nothing progressed because of this overconsumption. You're giving me original Mad Max trilogy vibes, and yeah. I I do enjoy the, that original trilogy quite a bit. So maybe you're kind of warming me up to this idea a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not as it's you don't have to think about it as much I don't think. Yeah. Like it, it it is it's just time kind of stopped there. Yeah, and that's fair. And and we we see that in other pop culture like for example a good example would be fo- the Fallout video game series mm. which is very much rooted in the early Cold War, Cold War yeah. kind of, yeah, state of the world. But anyway, we don't need to dive into that yeah. anymore. The Soylent Factory, which we get to eventually in the film, has a really interesting aesthetic to it. I, I had to look it up where it was filmed. It's the Chevron Refinery Power Generating Station in California. Mm. Also used in the Transformers movie that came out with Shia LaBeouf. Oh, no way. Yeah. I didn't know about that connection. I knew about the factory. Didn't know they filmed there again. Yeah. Something oh, that you could cool. actually find on IMDb is filming locations, which yeah, I didn't yeah. know that prior to this. And mm. then you can click on them and see other films that... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Really interesting. Something that I've never I dove into yeah, before. Yeah, I haven't... Dovin. Dovin. Dovin deep enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you should dive in into it. So yeah, yeah. Let's be diving, man. Okay. All let's right. Stop that. <laughs> um, so another interesting piece to the effects and filming here is the film was not intended to be an action movie. And so in our final chase sequence, there was a requirement that the writers actually got that there would be no dialogue. Yes. So so as to kind of leave it in the dystopian crime mystery genre that the writers were intending. Yeah. Hmm. Which was kind of interesting there. The last piece to effects and filming that I want to bring up, this is kind of more of a history kind of thing, is there's at one point we see, I believe it was Cheryl playing the arcade game Computer Space. And that was actually the first time that a video game was ever used in film. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, the way I read it was first coin-operated, but apparently, I'm sure they were just all coin-operated at Mm -hmm. one point. They weren't just free. I I don't know, but yeah, first time it was ever in film. Okay. That's all I got for effects and filming. Let's talk score very quickly. There's a lot of very early vibes to a lot of the music that kind of gets played throughout. It's nothing special here. It's not memorable whatsoever. The highlight for me is comes a lot later in the film during one scene in particular that we'll be talking for sure about in the spoilers where there's a mixture of classical pianist songs that are used and it's utilized well. And that added 
to the scene for me and made it more more touching i don't know it, i really enjoyed that that part of the score yes i know what you mean yeah it, it was it was important yeah i i really like that and we'll get into that later but that's actually probably my favorite uh my favorite scene of the entire film so let's look back at the times really quickly. So 1973 is a very interesting time in American history. We have the 1973 oil crisis. We have the end of the Vietnam War. Watergate happened during this time. And all of this is kind of undercut in the scientific community where we're starting to observe the impacts of climate change and maybe bring them a little bit more to the forefront of the conversation a little bit here. So this film's yeah. a little ahead of its time. It's it's like when the the societal discussion first mentioned um, climate change mm-hmm. because there had been scientists and um, like renowned thinkers and whatnot contemplating the effects of climate change yeah and, and different aspects of it but yeah but not so not green, in mainstream media until now i feel and like. not as holistically yeah, either so yeah. i think green takes a a very widespread approach to its thoughts and ideas and and where everything could go wrong in every different yeah. aspect of society and the environment really yeah yeah they did they really went full into it for the first time, I think. Yeah, and I think this is really a time in culture where in America, people are starting to kind of maybe question authority and the choices that are made. Obviously, Vietnam was seen as a, a bit of a disaster. Yeah. We, not us, but America did not win that war. We had Watergate, which is potentially the first impeachment in american history i can't say that i i don't believe it is but it's uh, like if it wasn't the but first like the first like full-on legit one because i think there were other ones previously where like they just did it because of like not illegal reasons or whatever but this right. was like the biggest one yeah yeah and then and the oil crisis as well is kind of reflective of this uh, of of an artificial shortage of a necessary resource where at this point in time you know none of the cars are working we see that in this that Mm -hmm. the cars are basically just props the cars were just everywhere they just were where they died and so they use them as part of the environment yeah and it's probably also a a consideration of the cost of oil and gas at this point no where, way. yeah where you know you get to the point where it's you can't even afford to put gas in your car so most of the people dies. that we see portrayed had probably never known that those things actually ran that's a great point as well yeah. they probably haven't run in and, 20 years and imagine seeing this as a like fully like a full concept mm-hmm. in the 70s when like the previous uh few decades were absolutely amazing if you wanted to have a car yeah i feel between like, like th- between end of world war Two to or late 60s is probably one of the peaks of human existence we we yeah. landed on the moon we 
I mean, the end of the war, like everyone had a muscle car, which they don't even like, they didn't know what they had. Like they had it good because I don't know how it was a very, a very prosperous prosperous, time. Yeah. Yeah. After the war for North America and probably Europe as well. Rebuilding certain themes throughout the movie, basically kind of throw back to world war two. I think Mm -hmm. like seeing the people rounded up and dumped into a dump truck. It was Mm -hmm. just another variation of, what the people of the time had seen whoever knew about it as in depth as we do now, um, that that was happening in world war two. So this like was yeah. like good parallel because it's like, we're all doing this to ourselves with overconsumption. Mm-hmm. Potentially it's the corporation's faults, but we're basically creating like, uh, the eco side is, I don't know, genocide kind of yeah. parallel. Yeah. No, that's all really good points. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And we're kind of touching on legacy here a little bit as well. And for me, again, this is a very dark take on the state of the world in 50 years after the film's been released. And obviously, North America, for the most part, is not to the level of despair that we see throughout the movie mm. or even like the levels of overpopulation we've already talked about the comparison of what the movie thought may be yeah. the population levels in new york versus today and even something with production of food worldwide i believe don't quote me on this exactly but i believe right now the world can produce enough food for about 10 billion people whereas we're sitting around 8 billion right now. And it's not a problem of production. It's a problem of the supply chain and how we allocate our food and our food resources throughout the world that's really inefficient and ineffective. And that's very obvious in this. Like You see, obviously, the rich are getting the uh, fruits and veggies and meat. Mm-hmm. And then the middle class, we see the second, uh, the bodyguard's apartment, they had like a few amenities that were somewhat nicer and then they had some strawberry jam. Yeah, but even that stuff is beyond what a normal bodyguard would have. Yeah, and Thorne yeah. kind of makes that connection that clearly this this bodyguard is being paid comparatively well and being provided a lot of benefits in his life that he wouldn't normally even be afforded at that level so there's something special about that yes he he must be more corrupt than the rest yeah Yeah, that's a great way to think of it so you kind of talk legacy or touched on a little bit earlier about kind of connections to later filmography or even tv as well do you kind of want to talk a little bit about those yeah definitely i think for our generation the 90s kids um you'll most likely like almost everyone has heard the references can i go into spoilers in that area just say the reference i think so yeah go ahead yeah so basically at the end of the movie we find out that soylent green is people yeah, so, that's the big, like, plot twist yeah, kind yeah. of thing. So, Soylent Green is PayPal! Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Everyone knows that. It, I'm surprised we, like, made it this far without just yelling it out. But uh, we see it in The Simpsons. We see it in Futurama. Mm-hmm. We see it in, like, many cartoons. I've seen it even more recently as just a, um episode name in... Really? Uh, yeah, I, I forget which 
show, but and it it was like barely relevant, but it had the same elements. It was just like it, it has become sort of a joke in popular culture. There's one example where in the animated TV show Harvey Birdman Attorney at Law, there's a bunch of people in the cafeteria and someone yells out, it's people. The Mediterranean rap is people. <laughs> no, wait, maybe it's Baba Ganoush. <laughs> and like, so there's all kinds of jokes about it where you've, you've heard the term. And that's why I was, I was always kind of interested in like watching the movie. I'm glad we did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in like so many episodes of Futurama and uh, the Simpsons uh, even some like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, Saturday Night Live has done has parodied mm-hmm. it in many sketches. It's the concept of us eating people that was marketed by a company as food just stuck in yeah. like pop culture mind. Yeah, in in the pop culture sphere, and it's in just so many things. Yeah. And like I I feel like I had said it as like a kid when I didn't like the food or something like that like somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's just so ingrained without anybody ever having watched the movie. Yeah, and that definitely takes away from the shock value of this yeah. a little bit just because it has been done so much since and it we've kind of been desensitized to that idea a little bit in this day and age. And that's not to say that all old films that maybe had an original idea are now obsolete. It's just maybe for this one personally, it doesn't hit the the same yeah. way it might have in 1973. Yeah, and this is like almost, let's say, similar to the first Matrix where it just hit and it was like raw in people's minds. It was something new and different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably more the implication of what happened in 1973 than uh, us watching it now and having seen like hundreds of references. It was even in uh, Johnny Bravo. Really? Yeah, yeah. He goes to like a, a factory and he thinks he sees, I think, his dad go into a jerky processing machine. And then he's like, uh, like, whatever the food, the jerky was, he's like, this jerky's people and like yeah it's it's just everywhere it's in video games like crazy because of the concept it's they, it suits very well the other dystopian video games yeah yeah it's, and it, i don't see it ever going away either yeah. so they created one thing in 1973 it was basically a shit movie that created just one pop culture line that lasted forever i wouldn't say this is a shit movie no i wouldn't this either but not it's maybe not a palatable. Movie. It's not palatable for the average viewer. Yeah, it's it's really raw. It yeah. it's it it's a very dark, desolate film with not a lot, no hope. There's no hope in this. And if you could get invested in it, there's no hope. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's gonna rub a lot of people the wrong way. And we've already talked it's it, about it being a little bit dated and that's where i'll contrast you a little bit you brought up the matrix earlier and mm. the matrix is a timeless film yeah. the original matrix is one of the greatest pieces of cinema ever and its impact is so much more ingrained in yeah. our culture now than what soylent green has done because Soylent sure. green has is is kind of 
offhand jokes or or references but the matrix is so rooted in so much of what we consume now yeah but it's also jokes too like doing the matrix like you see like probably like bart simpson do it in the simpsons like he's getting chalk thrown at him and he does yeah like there's there's gonna be parody of everything yeah yeah but the fact that this is a 1973 movie that lasted long enough to like just their core the core idea lasted long enough that i i really love it for that because it actually made a statement and it made an impact that kept people thinking about that I imagine as a teenager in the 1970s that seeing this and the ideas presented here would have had a a large impact. And that's probably what we're seeing now is in, you know, those references in the late 90s and early 2000s are probably a lot of those people who saw this growing up and it kind of did stick in their mind. So I kind of want to end legacy here again, bringing up, the children of men there's a very similar vibe here in the desolation and maybe a more gritty look at a darker future than maybe what other films that maybe portray the future as not so rainbows and lollipops kind of thing and you and i both thought of children of men when we watched this which another another comparison that is very direct is 1984 The comparison that I would say is the strongest, Mm -hmm. besides the whole dystopian future and everything, Mm -hmm. is the way Saul goes home. Because that's very similar to the main character in 1984. He he gives in to the illusion, and he's like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done trying to fight it. I'm just accepting it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's... that's pretty good and i i don't want to i don't want to dive too far into that because i think that's where soiling green shines a little bit for me in saul's story arc yeah yeah so let's dive into our personal reviews we've kind of touched uh, around it a little bit for me personally i didn't love this movie and there's a few reasons for that I think you nailed it earlier when we were talking that this is a more of a movie to be studied and to observe kind of the the different aspects or different ideas of where we were and where we were going or where we thought we were going in the 70s. And it paints an interesting picture and you can kind of use this maybe to compare and contrast where we are now and maybe where we're going a little bit there's so many ideas kind of floating around but not everything connected for me and i think they're just aspects of this that have been done better before and since again i'm on the same track i didn't love this movie but i'm i love that i watched it i don't necessarily want to watch it again but i'm glad that i learned the things that i learned from watching it and yeah the study like there's so many movies on my list that I know aren't going to be my favorite movies, but I want to watch them just so that I understand other movies better and I understand the times better and yeah. culture at different points. Have you seen Don't Look Up on Netflix yes. yet? Yeah. I think you could draw a little bit of a parallel to that 100%. on the social commentary. Now, Don't Look Up is obviously a much more satirical. Yeah. 
but it's, it's also so close to the truth. It is. It is. And it cuts very deep on yeah. current society and our culture and the kind of divergent nature of our culture at this point in time. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. I don't know that I ever need to watch it again. Which one? Don't Both, look, but yeah. I was talking about Don't Look Out. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, same same concept, yeah. Yeah. What I do want to say though is Charlton Heston did a great job in his role. But I think if you want to dive into him as an actor to maybe gain some perspective on his career, I would not direct you to this. No. Uh, you're much better positioned to watch Planet of the Apes. Again, one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. And I need to watch Ben-Hur. And, and yeah, this is too. where I want to talk to you about some future plans a little bit. Because we're coming into the beginning of January here. This year's Oscar season's taking place in March. And mm-hmm. our plan on the podcast is actually to pick a year from yesteryear during the Oscar season to look at a few films from way back when and pick one year in particular and watch the film that won best picture yeah sorry so what i'd like to do during the oscar season is pick a film or a series of films that were nominated and won the oscars for best picture during a time period that we're looking at and to celebrate charlton heston a little bit my proposal is that we do ben-hur as our first oscar season it won best picture in 1959 and that's a way back playback that we haven't gotten to that time period yet however i i'm gonna ask you and maybe the viewers as well to go on youtube and watch the trailer for ben-hur because there's been a recent blu-ray remaster of it and it looks incredible Hmm. it it, it'll blow your socks off that it was filmed in 1959 and I really want to watch it because it is one of the great, apparently one of the greatest films of all time. Yeah, I've heard that about it too. And just being in interested in um, movies in general, yeah. Ben-Hur comes up quite often, like more often than I guess people who would not know about it would ever find out. Yeah. That was very convoluted what I just said, but <laughs> yeah, like it's it comes up a lot as one of the greats. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where I land on that. And the other movies that were nominated around this time that I, I thought may kind of spark our interest and that I'm going to ask you and the viewers to take a look at and maybe give us some feedback on which other one you want to want us to watch. There's Anatomy of Murder, which is a comedy in a courtroom there's The Nun Story, which is an Audrey Hepburn film. Oh. Kind of interesting. I don't know if I'm super into that one. And there's Room at the Top, which I don't remember, but I remember thinking that it looked kind of interesting. So so that's my proposal. I'd love to hear what the viewer thinks, but that's kind of where I I would like to take our first Oscar season is... Way back to the earliest possible 
or not the earliest possible to but to the earliest time that we've maybe touched upon in this series yeah, i'm i'm interested in looking at some of the 80s and 90s ones as well but i'm definitely like i'm 100 percent down to look at some of those older ones yeah we'll talk later uh, on the side but i really do want to watch ben-hur especially ben-Hur, coming out of the sure. spartacus yeah. viewing yeah. i i need something similar to that getting back to our reviews a little bit do you have anything else do you want to talk about in your reviews i love dystopian and the concept was a hundred percent there for this mm-hmm. and like especially putting yourself in the 70s uh mindset going into it yeah overall i didn't love it i didn't hate it i'm glad i watched it it was worth it as a film aficionado yeah yeah that's probably a good spot to leave it there the partner factor um just had no interest in this whatsoever i don't know how annabelle viewed yeah. this uh she was most she didn't watch too much of it but she was mostly upset about the the furniture which is yeah. obviously a very uh divisive portrayal but then we we talked it over a little bit just going back and forth and like again i'm kind of leaning towards the fact that they were basically throwing the idea of um women as an object in with a dystopia so mm-hmm. i think that means that at that time they the director the writers uh, the whole movie was trying to portray that concept as very negative yeah so i think the way they did it was just so blunt and brutal yeah that it does come off like like oh, this is a horrible movie they're treating like women like oh yeah this. but when you look into it potentially there's like they're not celebrating it is basically what i'm trying to say and yeah I, and uh yeah annabelle didn't like that well but, oh. and the other thing as well is i'm sure if this movie is made in 2020 that there we also see male furniture as well it's and that's yeah, just kind yeah. of a sign of the times a little bit yeah of when yeah the movie so came out. maybe that gives like a little bit of a difference in the times but yeah it's it's a concept that again is is uh societal yeah and so they were commenting on society and the the downfalls of um where it can go so i don't necessarily like this isn't like a thing to not watch the movie over unless that really affects you that's completely fair and yeah we like 100 percent understand you might not want to watch it because of that but uh as a study maybe again yeah. this movie it's a study yeah it's you, not you're not again, going in it you'll enjoy some parts if you can immerse yourself a little bit yeah the more you can kind of immerse yourself in this world and like i said you can you can kind of hang on to some of those offhand comments because there's some really interesting ideas in this it's just not necessarily portrayed in a way that you're super engaged always yeah yeah so sequels prequels and reboots this is actually very loosely very loosely based on this novel make room make room which is a 1966 science fiction novel written by harry harrison they took some of the basic themes out of the novel the the soylent in it but they rewrote the characters and they changed a lot of the focus of Mm. the film 
And the author, the author himself wasn't happy with the final product. He said that the food itself was not a central theme apart from the shortages, really. Yeah. So some mixed thoughts on there. We don't really have any sequels or prequels or reboots kind of to go off of. Obviously, there's the parodies that you've talked about since. I want to ask you the question, though. Do you think that there's some potential here for a reboot? I do and I don't because we've seen it so many times that it would be potentially boring. Let's say with the uh, the train in the snow, Snowpiercer. Yeah, Snowpiercer. Yeah, so Snowpiercer did a similar thing. It's just the food didn't turn out to be people. It was just cockroaches, and that yeah. was still gross, but they did that whole concept. That was like they made you feel disgusting watching that. Yeah. So I think like they're, they're, they would be able to do that, but I don't think it could be the central theme again. They could rewrite this in a very cool way, I think. It's just um What about what about a ten episode Netflix miniseries where we expand on the ideas presented and all those mm. offhand comments about the way the world died? Yeah. And and we make the focus on the way like let's see how the world died. Yeah. Like, Honestly you could oh hundred percent. Now that you frame it that way, yeah. You could really dive into each concept that was hinted at or shown uh to a certain degree and go way deeper into it. Like yeah. the, the despair that the elderly felt and mm. uh because they remembered the old world yeah. and the um the fact that the younger people just don't remember or don't know anything different, the um, the depths of depravity that the rich go to mm-hmm. and the corruption of hiding it mm-hmm. and just the general destruction of, like, the beauty of Earth. Yeah. They could definitely redo that in a very cool way. Let me, let me pitch this to you, actually. Let's set this as a prequel five years in the past and we set this at actually more of the corporate level Mm. and it's the slow realization and the acceptance at the top that there's no coming back from this yeah that we're all screwed but let's make a buck and have some fun before we go out yeah, yeah, that would be a very cool because we see the underworld, but yeah, and we see hints of like the rich. But you could you could probably frame this as a, it's like Succession almost, mm-hmm. the show Succession. Mm-hmm. That would be a cool angle as like a rich family, yeah. and then like each person's uh, feelings about what they're doing, and then like one of them yeah. could be a little bit more um, environmentally conscious, and they're just like wrecked by it. Whereas the rest of them kind of just fall in line and they're like, yeah, okay. Like we're rich. We already screwed up. Everything is already screwed up and like, just watch them like fall in. And there's like a sense of depravity in that as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board with this. I'm, I'm getting real into this kind of a series. (laughs) So if anybody's listening, you know, feel free to reference us in your future Uh, screenplay but there's there's a really interesting idea there there's some kernels just like this film had some really great kernels of ideas yeah yeah. there's there's something there i think all right uh at this point this is everything i kind of wanted to talk about as spoiler free as possible for a movie that came out 49 years ago um i think we'll switch over to spoilers 
and and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, if uh, you're planning on watching this movie, you don't. You really care about spoilers. We'll see you guys later. At this point, you know if this movie is a movie for you or not. This the spoilers yeah. might help a little bit because there's some really again there's some really interesting ideas and there's a couple scenes in particular that I really enjoyed that maybe you don't necessarily get as effectively in other films. Yeah. So maybe this sells you on it. Maybe it doesn't, but this is your opportunity to get off the ride now. Where do you want to start with this? Uh, Obviously. Okay. Let's start at the end and work our way backwards. Like all great mysteries. Okay. Uh, Soylent green is people. Soylent green is people. (laughs) Tell everyone. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that's that's the big reveal at the end is that when when you die, there's no longer any ceremony or burial or anything like that. We're yeah. out of space. It's not worth the time, whatever. Yeah. But your body goes to a dis- waste disposal site and there's kind of references throughout the films that the waste disposal sites and the Soylent Green or the Soylent food production sites are maybe almost in similar areas and both very highly guarded. Yeah, yeah. That nobody comes in, nobody comes out. Just like Willy Wonka's factory, but with more human bodies. Yeah, 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 basically. (laughs) So we see at the very end, this is kind of the big reveal, when Detective Thorne makes it and sneaks into the factory where his buddy Saul's body is going to be processed and that's where we see basically the human bodies being processed into the food yeah Soylent Green specifically because I think it was the one that was uh touted to be like everyone was like fighting for it yeah it was the highest protein Yeah, yeah one day of the week Soylent Green is on Tuesdays or something like that. Yeah. Is there like it's marketed? You see it on signs throughout the film. I would say his exploration of the factory. You already kind of know, but his realization was like it was pretty decent. Mm-hmm. And um, then yeah, of course he gets caught in the factory and he has to do the whole chase scene all the way back to the city where he tries to call. Cheryl, yeah. So he tries to call her and he tries to call the police sergeant so that he could get the word out. Then he gets chased again by the people who are trying to keep this all quiet, the Soylent company and their hired thugs. They end up killing him. He dies in the church that we saw earlier that we haven't Well, he doesn't necessarily die. He doesn't necessarily die, but he's shot multiple times. Yeah, they're carrying him out on a stretcher and he's yelling incoherently that Soylent Green is people. Why I wanted to start with this, it's kind of a weird place to start a little bit is at the end of the movie, is it feels like nobody really cares or nobody's willing to rally around this idea or this concept that everyone's being sold recycled human bodies. Yeah, there's not even really a hint of a conspiracy happening like nobody knows within the populace they're just all eating the green stuff 
drinking the Kool-Aid, basically. Yeah, because I imagine that most of the people who have the even the inkling of what Soylent Green is are treated very well and yeah, are yeah. not eating the same yeah. thing that the rest of society yeah. is eating. And I kind of wanted to start when Saul goes home. Yeah. That's where I think the, that's the beginning of the end for me. Yeah, I agree with you. And this is kind of interesting, actually, is there, it's actually referenced throughout the film that Saul actually brings up the idea of going home multiple times, which is which is kind of neat. That That's one thing on maybe a second rewatch that you might catch a little bit. You kind of think that he's maybe going to home to some farm home that yeah, he was yeah. raised with his parents back 50 years ago or Before whatever. Before the destruction of humanity. Yeah. He's, he's always trying to convince um, Thorne that the world used to be an amazing place. Yeah. And that he has memories of it. And Thorne is like, yeah, okay, old man. Yeah. And uh, so when... Saul, he figures out what's going on. He knows he knows what's going on. He and he goes to a library with the other books, the other older people who can still read and um, know how to use books. And they, and they're almost like a a group of judges, almost like they yeah. carry some sort of authority in yeah. this world. Yeah, I think yeah, it makes sense. They have some access to knowledge that the rest of the 40 million basically don't yeah some of we do see that some of the rich can read and write Mm -hmm. but um they don't use it to this degree they're not use. they don't understand how to use their knowledge yeah it's less relevant in this society because they're rich they're fine whatever Yeah. yeah exactly so yeah and that that's a great way to that that's kind of where the third act comes is Saul basically leaves to go home, which in this world, going home is euthanasia. Yeah. They have basically, it was actually filmed at a stadium where people, I don't know that we see any younger people. It's, I think it's all older people for the most part walking into this facility. And and we see just people piling in by the dozens. It's just a steady stream of people. And Saul is sick of the world, and so they ask him, you know, what his favorite color is, what his interests are. What his favorite music is. Yeah, what his favorite music is, and they inject him with the necessary they, drugs. They just give him a glass. Okay, gla- yeah, they, yeah, right. He drinks a poison, and he knows, like, he accepts it. Yeah. And he lays down in, like, a very quarantine-type room. Yeah. And the it's, the... It, handlers the people who are running it are very uh cordial and respectful and they're obviously well off they look healthy whereas no one else in the movie really looks healthy um other than the rich and uh, well they're connected to soiling yeah of course yeah 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 so that that just little scene of seeing them adds that element in like to a bit more depth yeah and like i said saul's final scene which is his death scene is very poignant and Mm -hmm. And this is the one point in the movie that made me feel something and and made me care was that connection between him and Thorne. Because Thorne realizes where he's going and what he's going to do, and he gets there, but he's too late. Saul's already drank the poison. He's already 
in the room and it's it's almost like an observatory kind of type yeah. of room and so all around him is playing nature kind of scene something that he yeah. thought of and that was something that meant a lot in his life and in, in the past and then we get the the orange lighting his favorite color as well as the type of music that he wanted yeah and it's it's a really touching end to not only his character and that final interaction we get between him and Thorne because Thorne is able to observe him and, and talk to him out from outside of the room. He's not normally allowed to do that. He yeah. forces his way into being able to view this death scene because if everybody knew, nobody would um, nobody would allow this to continue. It would be too well, obvious. I don't know. It was a pretty peaceful way to go. To be yeah, yeah. It was a very peaceful way to go, but it would have made it obvious what was happening, I think. Maybe when they wheeled them out wasn't the nicest kind of. I don't know. I don't uh, know. Anyways. I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. But anyway, let's let's move on. Something that makes this scene really special in hindsight is Edward G. Robinson, the actor who's playing Saul. This was his final film. This was actually even the last scene that he filmed before he passed away, and he actually had terminal cancer mm. and knew where he was at before they filmed this something that charlton heston said is that edward g robinson was a professional to the end that he he came showed up every day he didn't tell any of the cast nobody else knew that he was Mm. terminal like this and and that final scene charlton heston said felt really special between them felt like there was there was more there between them than just the acting than just what was in the room there yeah and so that's something really special that those two shared and as a viewer i i felt that yeah that's the scene that that made me feel and care about the movie you feel so strongly when um saul is trying to show he knows that uh, Thorn can see this imagery that is basically banned in the outside world mm-hmm. of nature in its like the most beautiful um, scenes of nature, and Saul is remembering them from his childhood and his old experiences, and he was trying to explain that to Thorn this whole time. Thorn had no concept of the idea, yeah. so Saul is just like, like, do you see it? And uh, Thorn is like, like, yes, Saul, I do. I wish I. Like, I wish I believed you. I couldn't have ever imagined that it was so beautiful, the world, in its, like, uh, pristine state. Yeah. And that was, yeah, so touching with the, um, that added in factor, especially of Saul's, the actor's real, like, last scene. Yeah. It's, it's that acceptance that felt so real and and genuine. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. If you're gonna watch this movie, that's that's the scene for me that that if I'm ever gonna rewatch it, it's gonna be probably for that. If yeah, anything, it's yeah. not even about the the social commentary about the overpopulation or the death of the world. It's it's that personal level that yeah that adds weight to the movie. So again, there's there's so much reference to everything going on in this world, and the reason why. Saul was able to determine that Soylent Green was people and let Charlton Heston know that before the end was the books 
that the wealthy man had who died at the beginning were actually ocean charts and ocean research what Saul ended up digging into and realizing there is that the ocean was dead there wasn't there wasn't any completely acidified or yeah whatever they imagined to happen happened like we know ocean acidification is real and it's happening yeah but they yeah so Saul finds that out and and that basically the plankton that people are thinking they're eating, there's no way that the the levels of plankton in the ocean could mm. even come close to feeding enough of the population. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the dark turn there. And and that's probably one of the more interesting ideas out of this film is the dying of the ocean. Because in the 1970s, that is very early in that kind of concept and we've seen since i actually read this very recently that it's something like 90 percent of the biomass in the ocean has died in the last hundred years that we've lost that diversity and and that mass that all of those fish and all of those other creatures in the oceans have been lost forever yeah which is which is sad yeah that's where this felt like they really nailed it in uh 2022 we're looking at it's a little early but we're looking at similar concepts this is still relevant today yeah so that's where again this might be worth looking into if you're looking if you're interested in what's going on today it's just like a an idea that has been there for the past 40 years 50 years it was basically covered up sort of, I won't get into that too much, but yeah, like these concepts were there for the past 40 years and we still haven't done anything. Yeah. And it's sad that Soylent Green connected all of these dots so coherently that again, it's ahead of its time. It's unheard of Mm. to connect all these dots and to, to point humanity in this direction and say, this is where you're heading. If you don't make serious changes, so that's where this movie actually kind of nails it a little bit more. And maybe the timeline isn't exactly correct on it. And maybe we can change and be better. And that's that's what the movie is hoping for is is that we can be better, basically. Yeah, but. That, we'll, that we'll listen to Thorne. And that's how they end it where we don't know the reaction. Yeah. We're, we hear him spouting out his truth. He finally has the proof. He's shot through his torso. He's potentially going to die. Are the people around him going to listen? Yeah. Will will it change anything? Will that council of the books be able to use a dead man's testimony yeah. as proof? Yeah. Will it change anything? Will anyone believe him? He sounds insane. Yep. And they make him sound insane because that's it's just so real. And he, he's... He's been shot. He has to say what he saw, which yeah. is just mind blowing to him. Yeah, this is it's a pretty bitter end to a pretty bitter movie. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think that parallels so well with 1984. Go read the book. That's a phenomenal book. And I actually haven't watched the movie. It's been on my list as well. Yeah, we'll have to check I've, that I've out. Because I read the book, point. so I was like, eh, like could it be as good? Because the the movie the movie not. is very old. But yeah, the fact that um, Thorn, the way Thorn dies, we don't know. Will it change anything? Uh huh. 
And that adds to that um, despair. Yeah. Something that I didn't talk about back in the times is maybe the state of New York a little bit. New York was kind of on a a bit of a downward spiral through the 70s. Oh, yeah. And and that Corruption really culminates... in yeah, the police. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that... Drugs. Yeah. And... Gangs, etc. If you want kind of an interesting connection to the times, there's a documentary on Netflix about the son of Sam. Then it's called The Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness. I watched it earlier this... Or sorry, earlier last year now. And it really painted an interesting portrait of this descent into crime and corruption, like you said. That people of the time probably looked at this New York and didn't think things were too off. And that even culminates with the escape New York film, Mm. which is a masterpiece, not a masterpiece, but it's like fun. It's a very fun action film. Yeah. yeah, That's another John Carpenter classic that I'm sure we'll get to at some point. But I, I think at this point in time, maybe New York isn't, observed to the same lens that was that the people of the 70s were observing new york through and and that's something to keep in mind when you're watching this if you want to see photos of what new york looked like that was very comparable to the movie and that's where some of those um pictures came from in the beginning montage Mm -hmm. look up images of new york before epa regulation because there's just massive amounts of garbage everywhere. There's new buildings being put up and it's you see like a a gorgeous new building being put up with a large amount of it looks mm-hmm. like a dump and they're just putting it up on top of that. So that's what people were walking around seeing in New York at that time. Yeah. So like the the parallels to oh if we don't check this it's going to get crazy. And this, it's this not is a, unrealistic. Yeah, and this is a great point to go and dive a little bit more into the connection between what Soylent Green thought the future might look like and maybe not what it looks like in, in our cushy existence in the U.S. and Canada and most of Europe, but... With a lot of the developing worlds, I I recently saw that in Egypt there's a garbage city. What's it? What it's known as? Mm. And and the overpopulation in India, the one-child policy in China, like so many aspects of this film might not directly influence your life or my life, but. There are many people around the world who are facing living, that reality. Yeah, facing that reality, the the smog that the people here are living with in yeah. other developing nations. Again, the garbage on the streets, the lack of proper facilities and utilities for people. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it doesn't take long to get out of your comfort zone and find these places. And it's a bit scary, to be honest, yeah, that the, yeah. the world is very quickly becoming more and more like this. It's and almost it, like we are the um, the bodyguards 
Like mm-hmm. we're we're all living as if we're the bodyguard in this uh, in Soylent Green. Yeah. Where we're just uh, trying to do a job, and if we get some kickbacks, then then fuck yeah, I I want the kickbacks. <laughs> but then you don't see um, as, you know what you made me as think much of? below you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what you made me think of? Uh, Team America. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Team America. F, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean there. (laughs) But, yeah, uh, like, even just, like, the the public transport. I'm I'm super into photography. And there's a whole period of the 1970s where this, Mm -hmm. there's, like, groups of photographers. And those, like, Polaroids are still, like, on the internet of um inside the uh train system like Uh in new york there's just graffiti everywhere every single like inch of these trains is just full of graffiti and that's the time period yeah it was just so different so again we're seeing that to carried out in this movie to the extreme and there's a lot of other extremes here but again, not outside of the near possibility either. Yeah, yeah. It, like, for example, the prohibitive, expensive, and exclusivity to meet. Yeah. We're not far from that no. realistically. Like, if you've been paying attention, meat prices have soared in oh, the last year under even COVID. the last even the last month or two. Like, yeah. Like two months ago. Three months ago, you could buy a chicken for like thirteen dollars. Yeah. Now it's like seventeen, eighteen. It's yep. getting pretty crazy. And there, there people, had, people have been seeing this their whole lives. Older, like people yeah. older than us. Even like looking back as kids to like the gas prices. Yeah. And it's it's now the it's, speed that's yeah. scary. Yeah. And More. that's and I think that's where they kind of got the timeline pretty correct in their assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different. It's not as drastic. Obviously, the overpopulation didn't. Like they didn't, they didn't look into the like actual possibility of forty million people in just New York City, and what that means. Yeah, that's controversial, I guess. Like it could mean the whole state turned into one city. I don't know. But, yeah, we 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 don't see much about what actually yeah. New York looks like, but yeah, how big it is still. Like yeah. Anyways, there's so much to talk about in almost every episode we have, but I feel like is like once you get looking at the concepts at play mm-hmm. it's a good movie <laughs> it's not a good movie but it is a good movie yeah it that that's the struggle here yes yeah. it's not a pleasant movie no yeah it's a harsh look in the mirror and but it's it's uh not super well executed but it's executed well enough to be so important for that time yeah. And and it's still relevant. So. And it's still relevant. Even though it's dated, it's still relevant. Yeah. I think that's where we can end it is that's that's where we both landed. We both enjoyed certain aspects and other aspects felt dated or di- didn't feel like it fit the mood of the movie. And at the end of the day, we're both happy to have watched it. Yeah, yeah. But this doesn't rank very highly on either my old film cinematography scores as as something that I ever necessarily want to rewatch. Yeah. Yeah, like there is a list in which it is well placed. Yeah. It's just not one of the lists that's like my top favorites. It's like it's a very specific list where like this is worth watching. Yeah. It, for this reason. Yeah. It's it's a movie that's going to make you feel bad and that's kind of 
what it wants. Yeah, it wants yeah. you to it wants you to take a good hard look at yourself in the mirror and your own habits and I I would love to know the like what people were actually saying at the time when it came out because mm-hmm. right now if you look at don't look up. Yep. And you see there's articles written about it already and it just came out mm-hmm. where if you look at the ratings and the comments that average people are um commenting on like imdb or like wherever else people are um rating it there's people who in the movie don't look up they were the ones not looking up and they're like i don't like this because it shows me not looking up but i don't want to look up either at the same time so like they they fell for it in the wrong way Right. Like they were supposed to be, they were supposed to look up, but yeah. they looked down harder. Yeah. After watching this, they they felt so enraged that they were depicted so well yeah. that they're like, "No, I'm not like that." Yeah. But that by saying that, they were looking down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I guess I'll quickly give you a couple of tidbits as to what the sentiment was here. Roger Ebert, one of the most legendary film critics of all time actually gave this film a three out of four stars, uh, calling it a good solid science fiction movie and a little more on Mm. the flip side. There was some pretty negative reviews here. There's actually a really great comment that I really like in here. And, and it was apparently within a German film encyclopedia that noted that if you want, you can see a thrilling crime thriller in this film, By means of brutally resonant scenes, however, the director makes a clear, far deeper truth. Soylent Green must thus be understood as a metaphor. It is the radical image of the self-consuming madness of capitalistic mode of production. The necessary consequences of reification of human material to the point of self-destruction are forcibly brought home to the viewer. Kind of an interesting concept there. Again. The whole film, kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, so it's hard to look back in the 1970s and see what the average person thought because we can only see what critics thought. Yep. There wasn't a public forum to discuss this besides, like, someone you work with or your family or whatever. Yeah, so, we'd probably have to talk to somebody who was 20 years old at the time and yeah. had and somebody who really felt like they were impacted by the movie. and. That's probably going to be hard to come by oh, right man. now. Oh man, if 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 this if this podcast works, we are going to do a segment where we find people oh, who that'd be fun. actually watch these in theaters yep. Yep. and we get their their opinion and their, their like what was who were you at the time and how did it impact you? Love it. Love it. I'm into that. Oh, yeah. I'm into that. That would be a super cool series. That would be a great segment. I love that idea. And if you love that out there too, let us know. And if you have any ideas about this at all and you want to share it with the younger generation, we'd love to hear it. Oh, yeah. That would be awesome. Cool. All right. I think that's a great place to end this. We didn't dive too much into the plot in this, but that's not what this movie is about. This movie is about the ideas the more than it is and ideas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you have a great start to 2022. It's all up here from here. (laughs) (laughs) It's been Blake and Jason, VCR, Vintage Cinema Rewind, and we'll see you next time. Fuck, why do I never have anything to say? Ah, Jason (laughs) jokes. (laughs) Yeah.
Well, uh, yeah. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening in. We had a great time, and uh, we hope you enjoy uh, learning how to deep dive into movies the way we do. Yeah, and the best way to consume human flesh. Exactly, yeah. It's green. <laughs> it's people. It's people. <laughs>